0: Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at International Cinema at Brigham Young University. I'm Marc Olivier, co-director of International Cinema, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Professor Bob Hudson of French and Italian Department. Uh, Professor Hudson received his PhD in 2008 from UCLA, where he first taught autonomous sections of French film and benefited from the proximity to Hollywood to meet Cédric Clapiche, Francis Weber, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, and participate in the Colcoa, City of Lights, City of Angels film festival, Um, French film festival, I should uh, add. While he uh, researches French Renaissance poetry, cinema remains an academic passion and he teaches french and italian cinema here at byu annually welcome bob thanks for having me mark i'm really excited today to talk about a movie that i know we both really like which is faces places um, the last feature documentary uh would you say from uh, agnes
1: Yeah, so the the only film after that was the 2019 uh, Agnes Anja's Valda that was more of a retrospective. So yeah, her last feature film.
0: Um, it's a really touching movie. I mean, I like her work uh, in general, but it's there's this really sweet relationship. So Agnes Valda is uh, joined by this street artist JR um, or JR or I don't know. We're we're gonna we'll we'll say JR. For the sake of um, simplicity, but um, uh, maybe tell a little bit about how that happened. I know that it had something to do with Rosalie, um, Varda's daughter, right? Yeah, the, yeah.
1: So Varda's daughter that she had um, actually before she met and started dating um, Jacques Demy. It's actually the uh, daughter, the, her boyfriend at the time was uh, uh, Bours- uh, excuse me, Antoine Bourseillet. Um, who had played the soldier in Cleo de Saint-Cassette, if you've seen him at the end of the film. He's one of my favorite characters because he... He's known as known for talking too much, like I'm often accused of doing. Um, he's just he's, he's my wife, <laughs> We like right? that. Yeah. But anyway, the a, a podcast, is an two, asset. Yeah, and so so Rosalie uh, Valva, who is um, who had kind of at that point taken over for her mother um, with the uh, Cine the the production company that does all of uh, Valda's film and artistic work, um, she became aware of uh, Jr's uh, street art and um, basically arranged a coffee date for the two of them. A woman that was uh, in her late 70s and a man in his mid-20s.
0: Yeah, and they're just such an adorable pairing. Um, His work, I love, basically um, sort of celebrates the individual and often sort of unsung heroes of of French life, or not just France, but all, all over the world, where he does these massive photos and that's what you see these these they become these murals uh a lot of it in rural france and um i what what do you see what commonalities like why why did they gel as as an a sort of unlikely duo i guess between his representation of these people awful in uh, often in rural france or um and and her own work
1: Yeah, I mean, they're both very clearly um, lovers of humanity. And Mm -hmm. that's one thing I think you get from her earliest film, La Pointe Courte, which is a love story set in uh, the town where she spent her uh, teenage years, a set um, not far from Montpellier on the Mediterranean, um, where so much of it deals with the working class that worked in that neighborhood, La Pointe Coule. So early on in her career, you also get it in Cleo de, de Saint Cassette, where there's so much just walking on the street and observing. So many of those shots were documentary shots mm-hmm. of her with the cameraman following Corinne Marchand playing Cleo. Mm-hmm. And you get the real reaction of people looking at this tall beautiful blonde actress that's walking down the street that wasn't stage. that was all real and she liked capturing that it's been a been a thread of her entire career sort of capturing the reality of uh, humanity and and the human reaction to spectacle the human reaction to even the quotidian Mm-hmm. And I think that's what uh, you get so well in this film. Um, she did it again um, towards the uh, turn of the millennium with uh, the Gleaners and I.
0: I love that movie. Yeah, which Beautiful. has been a favorite
1: here, right, for the International show yeah. a couple times.
0: Yeah, I'd love to show that one again. I mean, it's it's so unusual because you 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 start with a premise that's kind of you know based on on painting and you know high art in a sense although even that is celebrating the 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 worker the kind of common the well the gleaner um but the way that she mixes her own uh concerns her own mortality her failing eyes her um and her desire as an artist to glean from whatever there is sort of in life with, you know, she has this unusual ability to capture the, um, the intersections between, you know, what would be considered high culture and low culture and, and all of that. I mean, is that something that you see throughout her work? Would you say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, her, um, a lot of people forget that she's one of the, the best educated filmmakers that the French tradition has ever had. Um, she was educated at the Ecole du Louvre in art history. Mm. She was educated in the Ecole des Beaux-Arts in photography and photographic history. And from that, she was going to go on and become an art historian, but decided to instead go to the Ecole de Vaugirard, the Ecole uh, Normale Supérieure uh, Louis Lumière, mm-hmm. uh, there uh, near Montparnasse, where she would live for the rest of her life and where she's buried now. Um, and... and in her film school and, uh, um, do her film school there. So she's someone that's very educated, but always focused on, like you said, the gleaners. I mean, yeah, there is, uh, the tie to 19th century painting there, mm-hmm. but there's also this idea of celebrating the working class, celebrating, um, those who might fall by the wayside. If, someone didn't say, Hey, look at this person mm-hmm. and let's appreciate their humanity. The guy ringing the bells, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the wives of the, uh, the of assault the men that, workers, the, right? Well, there was, or no, no that the, was dock the, different, workers, the dock workers. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you know, she's so self-effacing that you would never know that she has that educational background. Like, um, in the gleaners, she just is like, Oh, I have this video camera, you know? And, and, and you might as well, th- you, you would think that she has no previous experience filming. She has this way to kind of downplay her own, um, you know, strengths and her own training and just kind of, um, be the person, the woman with a movie camera, you know? Um, Yeah. So I think that uh, there is some intersection of interests between what she does and what Jr. or JR does, um, which um, in terms of, you know, his art is art that's ephemeral in the sense that eventually it's going to something plastered on the side of a building is going to wear away. It's not inside a museum. It's it's outside and it's not really aspiring to be important in a conventional kind of critical sense
1: yeah um so let me let me just add something really quick Mm -hmm. to that it may be ephemeral in nature but but it affects people on the long term you don't have to watch this movie multiple times for the images you see in it to stick with you. And the same way with, with JR's art, like you see it and you look into the eyes of those people and you make a connection with whoever that person is representing the photograph. And even though that's gone, the connection you make as a human being lasts. And I think that's something both the artists do so well. Right. They do. And I,
0: I know that she said, um, kind of knowing a lot of people were like this, you know, this could be her swan song. This could be the last film. She said, um, every new person I meet feels like my last one. And, um, so you sense that, that sense of mortality, but also like you said that in spite of the ephemeral nature, in some ways you're capturing this on film, you're, um, you're creating connections that are going to last. Yeah. So, what connection do you see between, you know, Varda and the people in the film? Is there anything that stands out for you?
1: I think the way that she celebrates rural France. I mean, she's a woman who, you know, born in Ixelles, a, a suburb of, of Brussels, um, grew up in Set, and actually doesn't come to Paris until, you know, really young adulthood to pursue her studies. Um, but she's someone that uh who was Parisian most of her life you know she she and and Demi lived in that same house um, on rue daguerre for fifty years um her longer than he did, he passed away in nineteen ninety but uh he was buried you know some three hundred yards away from where they lived together. so being Parisian, she never lost that touch with rural France. So, I think one thing that really stands out in the way that um, she celebrates humanity is seeing value in people and relationships that aren't just the hustle and bustle, you know, Metro Boulot Dodo of Paris, mm-hmm. but are people that know how to live their life at a different pace, at a different clip, and whose accents or whose views on the world are very different from that of a Parisian and she likes to celebrate that and and explore that the same way that that JR goes out and tries to find those people that are different could you
0: just for people who might not know could you uh talk a little bit about the uh who Jacques you know Demi is and the relationship between Varda which I think is you know is present in the film uh what you know maybe uh yeah. Fill, fill us in a little bit on, on Demi and Varda.
1: So, um, yeah, Jacques Demi was originally from Nantes. He had actually known, uh, the horrors of World War II, living in Nantes when it was being bombed, um, in, uh, in the forties when he was a young boy. And, um, he actually went and lived with, um, some relatives to escape that. So when he moved to Paris, he was actually in the EDHEC, one of the, um, the Grand for studying cinema in mm-hmm. Paris, um, and he and, and Varda actually met both as film students. So uh, she was at the École de Vosgira. He was at the Idhek. And they actually met in Tours at a film festival uh, hmm. for student films and uh, met each other there. Struck up a friendship at first and then found themselves both single in Paris and um, started dating, uh, married um, and then they were sort of co-collaborators. Uh, Var- uh, sorry, Demi is is famous for his film Lola that celebrates Nantes. But then he, uh, and one thing also, he, he always remains on the exterior of Paris. So I think this idea of, of staying at the periphery or out of the Ile-de-France right. is something that Varda might have got for him. So he made Lola that set in Nantes. He mm-hmm. made the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, of course, set in Cherbourg. Cherbourg. Um, The Demoiselle de de Rochefort Rochefort. and Rochefort. Those two films come together and are actually the influence for anyone who's listening that might be a big fan of Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle's biggest influence is Jacques Demy and those two films. If you watch La La Land, you have seen a film that is almost entirely inspired by Demi's dummy monde, as he called it. Well, anyway, they were co-collaborators and friends. In fact, when Varda was invited by the Black Panthers to shoot a documentary in Mm -hmm. 1968 – Demi decided I'll go with her and I'll make an English ma- English language movie called model shop. And he goes and at Venice beach, she mm-hmm. used this movie. It's a beautiful film called model shop, uh, 1969. So they were co-collaborators, friends. They were a married couple. They have a son, Matthew Demi, who's now a director and, uh, a, a producer in the French film industry himself. Um, and then, uh, Demi died tragically in 1990 and, and they actually, um, Presented it to the press and to the world as cancer, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until she made Les Plages d'Agnes in two thousand eight, the beaches of Agnes, mm-hmm. I would get an English translation, um, that she revealed that he actually had AIDS, and was it, it was so stigmatized yep. at the time that that she and he didn't feel comfortable revealing that to the world mm-hmm. that he had AIDS. But uh, so it's, it's, it's a beautiful relationship they had. Even while he was dying, she made a film called Jacques de Nantes, mm-hmm. which is a film that tells his life story and how moments in his life contributed to his, his films and his cinematic vision. So mm-hmm. that's who Demi is. And yeah, you're right. I mean, in every film that, that Demi made, there's Varda, right below the surface, or on the surface, she actually appears as a cameo in Demoiselle de Rochefort. And same way, uh, vice versa, you have um, uh, Demine that's always sort of in the background of how Varda makes her movies.
0: Do you think, as far as the public goes, or critics, that one overshadowed the other? Or would you say that they were celebrated you know, fairly equally?
1: That's a really good question, because I think that... Um, The world being the way it was, there was this celebration of the male force first Mm -hmm. that I think um, in the latter years, especially um, um, as as Varda hit sort of this this old lady stage of mm-hmm. her existence, there was this retrospective where people really recognized that mm-hmm. she was the genius. I mean, Scorsese calls her one of the gods of cinema. Um, and there's people that have this recognition, you know, Criterion Collection was yeah. released, this complete, complete works with yes. this beautiful Which book. I think we both own. <laughs> we, you know, yeah, I mean, it's very expensive. Yes. I waited until they had a 50% off sale and, yeah. and had to get a copy. But mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful and wonderful collection of all yeah. her films. So there has been sort of this shift to recognizing the genius of varda and in many ways i would say and damien chazelle mm-hmm. would not like me saying this but i would say that she has surpassed the me in wow. brightness and yeah. importance to the cinematic world
0: yeah wow that is that's fascinating um so um you know the let's let's talk a little bit about the kind of um the, the type of relationship that they have I already think it's interesting that Jr. Um, always has his glasses on and there and in fact it's this poignant moment of her wanting to see with his glasses off but I think vision um, in the sense that you know he's he's always got these glasses on that he's doing these enormous um, portraits of people and that she is really preoccupied with her failing vision and the types of you know ways that she uh, portrays people. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about the, um, kind of the way that I guess the way that vision appears in the film?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you even get her eye exam when she's there, yeah. and she's getting a, a, an injection into her eye, which is hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And they, they they both compare it at the time to the the Buñuel uh, Andalu <laughs> scene with the cutting yes. of the eye. But um, it's interesting that that Jr. So much of his art, as I mentioned earlier, is is through the eyes. Right? You get mm-hmm. these connections to these people by looking them in the eyes, and he never shows his eyes to the public. Yeah. And I don't want to give any spoilers for the film, but right. there is that poignant scene you talk about yeah. where this becomes really clear that that he likes to preserve his, you know, anonymity to a certain extent. There's there's sort of a banksy-ish notion there that he doesn't want to give his identity away. In fact he's Jr and and only recently was it revealed that 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 is Jean Richard is his actual name. Mm. We don't know his last name. We know that his parents were antique dealers in the Marchiopus. I mean, there's very little biographical difference. I didn't even know that. Intentionally, very little biographical information available on him um, where he shows us people, but he won't show us himself. And there is something about this vision that the camera turns outward, but with him, the camera won't turn inward. But with Varda, the camera is always turned inward. And if it turns outward, it's sort of her things that have stuck with her and that she wants to show the world now.
0: Mm -hmm. Um. I'm really curious about kind of the, I I wouldn't say the ethics, I'm not really judging this, but the effect, I guess I would say of, um, on his subjects of their larger than life portrayal. Like I'm thinking in particular of both uh, a farmer on the, on the side of a barn and, and of, and especially of this woman who uh, works in a cafe, I think, and suddenly in her small town is kind of, a star, right? People come there and they're like, oh, you're the one, you know, you're you're the one portrayed there. Can I get a selfie? You know? And and so it alters the, the status of the people in ways that aren't always entirely comfortable what do you what do you think about that
1: yeah that that one scene with the uh woman that works at the cafe is one that i especially like in the uh-huh. film because you see her children who come up and talk about how beautiful she is yeah and she said like i never considered myself as beautiful she kind of hides behind you know basic clothes and and her glasses and her hair up and everything which makes sense for her line of work mm-hmm. you no know, um I'm not trying to to judge that either, but when when Jr. gets she she wears this dress and she gets this mm-hmm. umbrella that was from another villager's parents' wedding, uh-huh. right? So there's there are all these elements they bring. She takes her shoes off, so there's this sort of relaxed pose that she she strikes there, and she's not comfortable with it. You know, you right. expect her kids love it, but she's like, oh, you know. I really kind of wish it didn't happen. And so, um, again, I don't think it's a question of ethics, but it is interesting to see the way that that might strike people. That farmer loved it, right? He'd already said, I am the most famous guy in town already, so it's not going to change him. It's his barn. He should be there. Um, But this woman is a little more timid and doesn't necessarily want to become a celebrity, and she's forced into that role.
0: Well, and what you've done, I mean, and what Varda does as well with um, her documentaries is – you have placed people on the big screen, doubly so, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, suddenly she's at cinematic proportions. Like she's projected uh, on large screen permanently as a still. And then she's in the film and is also on the screen. So I, I imagine that, you know, an actor wants wants that and probably still is uncomfortable. I think there are actors who don't like to watch the films that they're in. Um, But for just somebody who didn't have that aspiration to be blown up to that size is, um, you know, has got to be a little bit troubling, I guess. Um, But, you know, it it changes the, also the perception of the viewer of the movie. I mean, all of us to start to think about the people who are maybe less visible. Who uh, who surround us? Yeah. Any other thing that you um, that that strikes you before we before we
1: round up with our um, some a few rapid fire questions? Yeah, I think it'd be a shame to to have this discussion and not talk about uh, Godard a little bit. Yeah, just Okay. because mm-hmm. he appears and doesn't appear. Yeah, in, the movie in relation to the sun to the to the glasses. Right, the fact that Jr. always wears glasses and that made. Uh, Varda think about Godard whom she knew very well in fact he makes he does a cameo Mm -hmm. in the 1962 um, uh, Cleo in that sort of film within the film that's a it's like a silent film Mm -hmm. that is within the film with his wife uh, Anna Karina Um, but um, you know it's interesting. It changed my view of Godard. Same. same. I used to love him and, uh-huh. and, and, and you know, without spoilers, right. I, I had a hard time forgiving him after what he does mm-hmm. in this film.
0: Right. I am definitely team Varda all the way. When I saw that, it was exact same experience. I just feel like... Um, she deserves only the best, most loyal friendships. That's all we're going to say. Without um, she, She's like Dolly more...
1: Parton, right? You can't yes. do, I mean, no, Someone you... that does good to everyone. And yeah. you,
0: can't, um, you cannot not blindfolds. love yeah. Anya Svarda. She is amazing. And so to our listeners, if you haven't seen very many of her films, um, check this out. And especially Faces Places. We love it. We're super happy to be playing it um, again at International Cinema. Okay, Let me ask you a few, a few, oh, one of them, you, I think you've already asked, but the um, favorite movie theater, a few little, little get to know you questions. What's your favorite movie theater, whether here or abroad?
1: Okay. I always stay in Montparnasse partially because of Varda. In fact, I I stay in this hotel on Rue de Guerre. I know that's embarrassing. I have this hope. No, it's fantastic. Of meeting her. At one point, and it never happened, but I do go to her grave and to Demi's grave. But in that neighborhood on the Boulevard Montparnasse, Mm -hmm. there there are a lot of big corporate movie theaters. Uh But there's one that's in this kind of janky old uh, shopping mall. There's like this all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. It's called Les Sept Parnassiens. And you kind of go underground. It's, it's mm-hmm. a labyrinth to get there. And it's one of those that once the movie ends, it spits you out on another street. It's like <laughs> a back street and an alley. Yeah. And it's just so nice to go there and sit in those kind of tight together, plush, velvet Mm -hmm. seats and and just watch a movie there yeah
0: and it's like you almost have to really be a cinephile to um you know want to go a place that feels a little more cramped and uh yeah i we we lived on boulevard du Montparnasse for a year so i know very well that theater that's a it's great one um okay what's a movie that lives in your head rent free
1: pulp fiction in pulp fiction, I have to watch it at least once a year. It's the film that got me into film.
0: Oh well, wow, incredibly formative. Then. Oh,
1: I, I watched movies, you know, with my dad. We we had my dad managed a Piggly Wiggly, and we had a video rental in the front of the store. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to repair the VHS tapes. And so, in return, my dad said basically, "Whatever's not rented, if you want to take it home and watch it," and he had a very lenient view on. Ratings uh-huh. <laughs> he didn't care about the MPAA. MPAA. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I, when I took home Pulp Fiction when it first came out on video cassette, it was a film that changed my life. I mean, literally. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to speak in hyperbole. Right. It's a film. I stayed up that whole night and pieced it together. Wow. Um, what the what the chronology had to be, mm-hmm. and it was just it showed me that you could have movies and also have cinema as an art. And Tarantino kind of helped me cut my teeth on that. So,
0: yeah. That's the film. Fantastic. Um, all right, a few easier. Um rom-com or drama. What do you choose
1: <laughs> for such a long time I um would uh scoff at the you know at Chick flicks or mm-hmm. the rom-com, but I've come around to them. I really have come around to them still if, if i'm given i mean it depends on who's making the movie right if, mm-hmm. if damien chazelle makes another la la land i'm watching that over uh-huh. a lot of dramas but if scorsese makes a film i'm watching that <laughs> so i don't know i, I just right. popped out I an mean, unfair yeah, question it is.
0: all right here's one that i think think you kind of already answered um Agnes Varda or Jacques Demy? This is such a cruel. It's very <laughs> this cruel. Is, this is so
1: cruel. It's like asking me like which one of my kids is. Exactly. It's your um, Sophie's Choice
0: question. Okay. So, it's, it's so it's, if you had to, if you could only watch the films of one from the, now to the rest of your
1: life. I'm going to go Varda. Forgive me, Jacques. I'm going <laughs> Varda. She, he, he made so many, sorry, she made so many more that that would give me more. That would give Desert
0: you more Island. to, okay, Desert Island. Okay. Here's another really bad one. French or Italian cinema? Since you teach French and Italian cinema, I'm so I
1: cruel. I hate having to I mean, qualify every answer, uh-huh. but like what decade are we talking I about? Know. Right? Okay. The, right now, I think Italian right cinema is more interesting right now. Okay, that's um, fair enough. What if I were to put it in the 60s? In the 60s? The new wave wins that one. Right? Yeah. So the new wave is going to win that one. Although I just taught you sorpasso by Dino Risi and uh-huh. loved teaching it. So, okay. Um, in the 50s, Italy. And in the 40s, Italy. In the 30s, France.
0: Okay. All right. Last one. Would you rather sit next to someone taking up all the armrests? <laughs> you're a big guy, you're a football yeah, player, yeah. Um, armrest space or texting on their phone?
1: At the In cinema? The, at the cinema. Um definitely let someone have the arm space. I can I can I can contort my body <laughs> better than I can block out light.
0: <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking about this. It's a pleasure. And I think we're both big fans of Varda. Absolutely. So um we really hope that people would go see this. If you're listening and you're not at BYU, then um rent it. Check it out. You can Pretty sure you can get it on Criterion channel maybe. Uh, Probably, I think you can get it on Canopy even. Oh, there you go. You sign up for Canopy if you're not. All right, thank you so much. Um, and thank you, listeners, for our joining us today from um, from On From the Booth. This podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our sound engineer, Hayden Underwood, and Johnny Stallings, who composed our podcast soundtrack. Look for us on Instagram at BYU underscore IC or on our website at ic.byu.edu. And in the meantime, keep seeing great international movies.